The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, we're live again from Miami. The countdown is on to tomorrow's big Fed decision. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson will join us with his take on where the markets are headed ahead of Chair Powell's next move. Plus, we'll hear from Mike Arrighetti of Aries Management on how the credit and debt markets are prepping for a new rate reality. And later, we'll go inside the numbers for SNAP and AMD, results just out after the bell. From FLA to Wall Street, Silicon Valley and beyond, the special edition of Fast Money starts right now. They're suppressing. Yeah, they're suppressing. And you're looking live at the Fountain Blue Hotel in the heart of Miami Beach. We are live again for the iConnections Global Alt Summit. I'm Melissa Lee and riding shotgun again today, Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. Great to have you guys here. And of course, back in New York, Karen Fireman and Tim Seymour joining the action. Sadly, they are just uh, a little bit colder and less sunny than we are. <laughs> but we want to get straight to uh, a big post-earnings plunge in shares of Snap. The company said it slashed digital ad budgets last year, gave no guidance for the third quarter in a row. The call kicks off later in the hour. CNBC's Julie Warson's got all the numbers. Julia. Well, Melissa, it was a first quarter warning that is sending Snap shares down about 13 percent in after-hours trading. The big headline is that Snap's quarter-to-date revenue is down 7 percent. Now, the company said that because of uncertainty, it could not give formal guidance, but informally it guided to a revenue decline of between 2 percent and 10 percent in Q1. Now, that compares to expectations of revenue growth of about 1.5 percent. Now, Snap's earnings of 14 cents per share did beat estimates by 3 cents. And revenue of $1.3 billion was pretty much right in line with expectations, as were daily active users of $375 million. That number grew by $12 million in the quarter. But the key thing dragging on fourth quarter results, it really seemed to be brand advertising, which the company said declined by 11 percent, while Snap's direct response ad business increased by 4 percent year over year. The company also announced that Snap is now investing to improve its direct response ad platform. It says that will help drive results higher over time, but may cause a near-term disruption. Melissa? All right. Thanks, Julie. We'll check back in with you a little bit later on. Snap's results taking down other social media stocks in the after-hour session. Initially, we saw shares of Meta down by about 2 percent. They've recovered just a bit. We are, of course, on the precipice of a flood of tech earnings here. A lot of them are dependent or partially dependent on advertising. Dan, how should we regard the Snap earnings ahead of this? Well, i got to tell you, for Snap, this looks like a big win relative to Twitter. If you think about it, flat year-over-year revenue. And when we heard last week that Twitter's revenue in Q4 might have been down 35 percent. Again, so growing uh, subs or or monthly active users the way they did, 375 million. Listen, I I think the stock ran up 30 percent into the print. So it's most likely going to come back in. Maybe we see, I don't know, $9 in the next few months. 
we got down to the levels we saw three trading days ago. <laughs> and, and Tim can speak to this ARPU, average, average revenue per, per user. user. I know Tim is watching. You know, it hung in there as well. So it's not a complete unmitigated disaster, but what's the read through? Now, we can trade Snap all we want, but well, people that are long Facebook, a stock that's now run probably, what, 75% yeah. from those lows, are they going to sell first, ask questions later into the print? That's what I would do, by the way. I think that's the prudent thing to do. I mean, that is a setup for so many of these tech earnings. Uh, you know, that is the stock have run up, has run up. Yeah. And so even if it's not a disaster, that doesn't mean that there won't be a disastrous reaction to it. Karen, as a meta holder, what do you do? How do you view mm -hmm. meta earnings at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. I hate when things run up so far into earnings. I mean, the meta move is just, you know, extraordinary only because the meta move down was something well beyond extraordinary. So, you know, I got to look to maybe sell some upside calls. Um, but I, I still think even with the move higher that I want to own meta here. And so I, you know, from just getting back to Snap for a minute, you know, the, the guidance or lack thereof uh, is what spooked everyone, that 7% revenue decline. That's not a great thing. I mean, when you have gross margins like they do or all these businesses do, a 7% revenue decline does very bad things to the bottom line because those GMs are so big. But I don't blame them for not having guidance. I don't think any company should have guidance when things are so difficult to see. But I don't think for, for Alphabet, yeah, and, which we'll see on Thursday, it's somewhat of a different animal. And I think that um, there, you know, also I think travel has been really strong. And that's one of Tim's picks is travel. But I, I think that Google hopefully is a little bit of a different animal. Yeah. So Tim, is it much more snap specific at this point in terms of the story that they're telegraphing? Well, I think it is. And remember, these media companies were the first ones to sell off hard on just recession fears, et cetera. But Snap uh, has, has led them all down every single time. And so this is now the eighth straight quarter of revenue decline. And when you, you know, as, as has been noted here, the DAUs are a lot less important than the engagement. I mean, their ad model is built off of engagement, consumption. Uh, and if you think about where Snap really has had issues specific to the iOS changes and, and where, you know, they sit at the top of the funnel. They, they really need uh, to be down direct brand respond. And it's not, you know, it's not been the, the, uh, the period for them to actually show that that business model works. I think it is largely structural. Uh, and I do think uh, the fact that they're not giving guidance isn't the issue here. The revenue contraction is a big deal. And, and I think, again, the, the consumption and the engagement is the most important part for Snap. All right, again, a 13.5% decline so far on the back of earnings. Let's now turn to the countdown to tomorrow's Fed decision. Stocks rising ahead of that announcement as investors predict the central bank will slow its pace of hikes and only raise rates by a quarter point. The Nasdaq leading the gains today and closing out its best January since 2001. The S&P and Dow also finishing the month solidly in the green. Those indices seeing their best start to a year since 2019. But can this momentum continue? I mean... We know what the Fed is expected to yeah. do. It will probably deliver on that. The question is the message afterwards. What is that messaging going to be? Hawkish or dovish? I happen to think it's going to be extraordinarily hawkish because the run in the market has given that flexibility. I think that, that this run we've seen now over the last you know few weeks, to me, they're going to talk as hawkish as they've been, if not more so. I don't think they want asset prices to go higher. Now, people will at me on Twitter and say it's not in their mandate. I totally get it. But part of the problem all along has been elevated asset prices. So I think it's going to be very hawkish. The market doesn't seem to care right now. But on the back of earnings, which have been okay, yeah. 
you know, I don't really see what the market, I'm not sure what the market is looking at right now to be as bullish as it seems to be. Yeah, I just tell you this, if they have any sign of hawkishness, this is in the presser, okay, yeah. and risk assets take off, I think then they really do run a risk of like things crashing at some point later this year because I, and I hate to use that term, but you know, the S&P was up 28% in, 20, in 2021, okay? It was down 20% last year. Mike Wilson's gonna come on and he's gonna tell us where he thinks S&P earnings are gonna be yeah. um, in 20, there's no scenario that supports higher valuations on the S&P 500 right now unless the economy magically changes course. The stock market has done that, but I think it's repriced um, incorrectly here, and I think some of the worst stuff is rallying. That being said, I think investors are really, really sick of being bearish over the last, call it, year and a half or so, and that's really, I think, what's happened here in January. Well, we certainly hear that all the time on our Twitter feed. Yes, we do. Why are you guys so bearish? Yeah. Why are you so bearish? Look at the markets now. We are rallying, Karen, but we did speak to Jim Chanos yesterday of Chanos and Associates, and, and he said, you know, if you look at all the prior bear markets, they, they trade between nine times and 14 times peak. So if we do 14 times peak and peak is 200, that's, still, that's a long ways lower from here. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It is a long ways lower from here. I, I, I mean, I guess that the idea that the Fed will start to stop and then maybe even turn around, maybe that's the, the sort of ballast for this super bullishness. I think that, um, you know, I always talk about the market's not a monolith. There are pockets of value in there, but it seems to me some of the, you know, the, the dash for trash is, uh, I don't know, just sort of speculative and ridiculous. So that kind of stuff I'm not going to play along with, but it does make me want to have more protection. You got to wonder, Tim, if Jay Powell is looking at his Bloomberg terminal, which you know they all have at the Fed, and they're looking at an AMC, sure. and they're looking at Tesla, and they're seeing the run in these riskier, quote unquote, riskier assets in equities, and thinking, this is nuts. You got to put an end to this. <laughs> Well, but one of the reasons that equities and assets are running and certainly speculative assets are running is because you have inflation that really has been halted dead in its tracks. I'm not going to high five the Fed. I think they they took us here. But if you saw that employment cost index, that ECI number this morning, you know, the last three months almost have you at a two percent annualized inflation rate. So um, why are equities rallying? Well, the dollar peaked. Uh, Fed policy has peaked. Uh, interest rates have peaked. Inflation has peaked. Uh, we've essentially had a market that's been rallying for four months. You've had the S&P 17 percent off of that CPI uh, peak. And you've had semis up almost 40 percent during that time. Those are the competing forces. I get everything everyone's saying. But when sentiment is as poor as it has been, it's left not only a dash for trash, but there are there are real companies that are outperforming and there are sectors that will continue to outperform here. Uh, I agree. Uh, the Fed is, is looking at liquidity conditions now, looking at market conditions and has to understand that things have loosened up quite a bit um, and they're not going to change anything they're doing. So I, I agree with all the commentary on that. All right, our next guest warns the market is looking frothy once again. Mike Wilson is Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist and CIO, and he's here with us in Miami. Mike, it's great to see you here in person. Yep, thanks for having in me. In the sunshine. It's nice. Um, the Fed has no reason to even give an olive branch to the bulls at this point, does it? There's no gain from that. I don't think so. I mean, they've done a lot of hard work. They've done the hard work, right? They've got rates to 4.5%. Like, why quit now, particularly with the froth now coming back? As you said, the financial conditions are actually where they were a year ago almost when they started raising rates. So there's no incentive for them to do it. I, I, but I have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, the way I look at it is this is an event 
that's been you know thought about now for four months. This is part of our call in October okay. that the Fed may pause after this meeting. So we've had the rally at this point, right? And to me, it's simply the market needs to get past this event, and then we can price the fundamentals again, which are deteriorating. Financial conditions are as loose as they've been. You just said that. There's a truth to that, but yet the market doesn't seem to acknowledge it. So one would think, given what the Fed has done for the last 14 months, financial conditions be as tight as they've been in a decade. They're not. Speak to that, and what is the market not seeing? Well, I think the market did adjust to that last year. We saw a major adjustment in, in multiples and the bond market, of course, because the Fed did tighten financial conditions. But now the market is looking past it as if all the bad, the fundamental news can be overlooked. And the fundamental news is deteriorating significantly. We're seeing that earnings tonight. You guys are just discussing that. We think it's going to continue to be the case. And once again, once this event gets past us and people realize if it's not cutting rates, there's no more, you know, heroin, so to speak, then we're going to price the fundamentals, which are clearly deteriorating in our view. So, Mike, you know, we've seen this cycle before of the last year where investors, you know, estimates come down into the quarter. They're not as bad as expected. We see stocks kind of rally out of it. But again, you know, we've seen them pull back and make new lows. When you think of the rotations that we've seen over the last few months, money out of mega cap tech into financials, into industrials, into, um, you know, energy and like, is there risk there in these stocks that look actually reasonably priced? But if we do bottom somewhere like 14 times you know, earnings, they may look really expensive, some of these industrials. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. I mean, the cyclicals probably are more risky now Correct. than the growth stocks, right? The growth stocks, a lot of them had their, you know, kind of come up its last year with the financial conditions tightening. Now there's this sort of narrative that China's reopening, inflation's peaked, we can look through the valley here and, and start buying early cyclical stocks. I think that's a real mistake given the degradation in earnings that we think is coming. Also, do you, are you sure or how sure are you that inflation has in fact peaked? I mean, we just got Spain's inflation numbers on Monday. I never thought I'd be talking about Spain's inflation <laughs> numbers, but it, it, they went back, inflation went back up. Right. And that's going to make the job of the ECB, which meets later this week too, right. a little bit harder. Well, and there's so many other cross currents. We talked about this earlier today, right. right? With China reopening, okay, isn't that directly in the face of you know fighting commodity inflation, for example? I mean, gasoline prices are up 30% over the last month. Mm -hmm. We're seeing other commodity prices spike up. So it's making the Fed's job harder, which speaks to your point, Guy. I mean, like, why? Like, why get off the train now? Like, if things were crashing and there was all kind of distress out there, I get it. But that's not what's happening. So there's no incentive, as you, as you said earlier. Yeah. Tim, you got a question for Mike? Yeah, Mike. Um, and I, reading your notes, you talked about the negative operational leverage, and I think that's a big part of the earnings story. Um, but you know, here we are, AMD reporting today after the bell, and what we're hearing from at least a lot of semiconductors. So you just talked about cyclicals. You can make an argument that these folks are giving you the clearance to say through the March quarter, through the June quarter, um, we're kind of at our bottom. We've, we've, we've remedied inventory. What's your call on that? Because, again, a lot of these leading indicator cycle stocks have already undergone a lot of pain. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but we think, you know, first of all, semiconductors never really went through the recession, right, because of the nature of the pandemic. There was a pull forward. So they never really, they actually had kind of two cycles in one. So we actually think that the, the damage in that space in particular is going to be ongoing and the margin pressure will persist. And this is a theme we think is going to happen all over the economy. It's not just tech, by the way, I want to make this clear. It's, it's other areas too. We're seeing negative operating leverage in financials. We're seeing negative operating leverage in some of the industrials. We're seeing it in, in, in the consumer for sure, where the over-earning was the greatest. And this is, a, this, is a, this is just something we think is happening, which is that every, nobody saw the inflation coming. They all benefited from it, and now they're underestimating the negative operating leverage cycle. That's what our model's telling us. We gotta go with our work. The fundamentals, I think, ultimately will decide how low we go. 
Your title is Chief U.S. Equity Strategist, Mike. But earlier today on the panel that we are both on, you said, you know, look elsewhere in terms of equities and look at bonds. Yes, I'm <laughs> that's, basically that's the underselling my product. Yeah. Right, right. But that's, that's, right. that really goes to the heart of all of this, right? Yes. That this is an extraordinary time for you. That's right. I mean, and, and look, I do the asset allocation for all our wealth channels, too. So we're, we, I do look across the capital structure. And our title of our report this year was the year of yield. Now, that doesn't mean there's not risk still in some of the longer duration bonds or, or credit. Our markets aren't going to have a tough time if we go into recession, okay? But the sequencing is always the same when you go into these slowdown periods, right? The Fed tightens, rates go up. So you go to cash first, then you go to duration, then you go to credit, securitize, and then eventually you get to equities. And it's just like we're such an equity culture. Everybody wants to put the equity cart at the front of the horse. That's just not the way it works, and it's a mistake. For you, what is the signal to be putting money into equities? Is it when the Fed eases again? Well, we did put money into Asia. Okay, so right. like this for is, U.S. equities, yeah, I yeah. For U.S. equities, I think it's going to be a combination of where we think the earnings now reflect closer to reality, and valuations reflect that too. It's a, it's a two-edged sword. So the Fed will be part of that story. But I think the Fed will probably be cutting rates long after the market has bottomed. That's my general view because the Fed is going to have to hold firm. I think they're going to do their job. Jay Powell is here to you know, make sure he gets inflation down. And as you said at the beginning, Guy, I mean, there's no incentive for him to get off the train too early. That would be a mistake. Yeah. Mike, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for stopping me. by. Mike Wilson joining us here from Miami. Um, Karen Feinerman, this notion of a Fed put, maybe it's still there. Maybe it still exists. But it's a whole lot lower than I think a lot of investors are pricing in right now. Yeah, it's certainly not an at-the-market put, but I agree with Mike uh, and definitely Guy and the others that the, you know, why should the Fed, what should make the Fed slow down? I don't know why they have to since, you know, we're starting to see housing prices roll over a little bit. And it was particularly with China reopening, which could really cause some inflationary pressure. They've come this far. I don't see why they should put on the brake. So I think we'll see if 25 is, I guess, the most likely, but I think we'll see the Hawks come out in, in droves kind of after that. Maybe I don't know if the market cares or not, but I think that's what should happen. I think that's what will happen. We're still seeing a yield curve that is back headed towards, in my opinion, negative 1%. And now you can talk about the Fed controlling things all you want, and maybe they can control the front end. They certainly don't have control over the back end. And if Mike's right, if you see a flood into bonds, maybe on the back of an equity sell-off, you're going to see 10-year yields continue to go down. But I think two yields are going to stay stubborn around four and a quarter percent. And a one percent inversion is not bullish, in my opinion. Well, you had that call, and you've been saying this, and I was actually kind of thinking, ah, maybe he's got this one wrong here. But if you see inflation start to pick up in the things that really could hit the U.S. consumer again, that consensus that it was going to be a bad first half, that recession was going to come at some point, maybe in Q2 or something like that, maybe it just got pushed out, and maybe risk assets doing what they're doing right now is really setting up for that second consecutive really bad year that no one thinks can happen because we haven't had it since well, 2001, two, that sort of thing. Coming up, we've got more after hours action coming your way. Shares of AMD and Electronic Arts on the move after reporting their results. The details from the quarters next. Plus, Cuban's Metaverse Musings, the billionaire investor weighing in at the iConnections Global Alts Conference, what he had to say about Meta's plans and more on how Snap's big drop could impact the stock. A special Fast Money in Miami is back right after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. 
For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert for you. Shares of AMD on the move after a beat on the top and bottom line. Conference calls underway. CNBC's Christina Partsinevelis is digging through the numbers. Christina. Well, despite competitors' Intel brutal quarter, AMD's Q4 earnings beat Wall Street expectations, driven by data center sales, up 43% year-over-year. That's the same segment Intel warned would contract. And that segment was up enough to offset weakness in gaming, which fell 7% year-over-year, and client services, in other words, PC sales, which fell a whopping 51% year-over-year. Moments ago, CEO Lisa Su weighed in on the weak PC market on this conference call that I'm listening into, and she said that the total addressable market will be down approximately 10% for 2023 and that they will ship below consumption in the first quarter to reduce downstream inventory, which is reflected in their guidance. Speaking of guidance, Q1 guidance came in a little bit light, but they didn't uh, provide any official full-year guidance. Uh, The company did get a new CFO, so she may want to wait it out another quarter before providing a number. We may get some more details on the call. Overall, still positive when compared to Intel's brutal quarter. AMD's CEO, Lisa Su, will be on CNBC tomorrow at 9.15 a.m. Eastern. No? All right, Christina, thanks. Christina Partsinevelis. It almost seems like this is a sigh of relief after Intel, which, by the way, erased today's gains in the after-hour session on the back of that news. The data center is still growing for AMD. Yeah, so shocking. <laughs> I, it just, I wonder where they're getting the market share from. You're not allowed to from. curse on this show, right? Because what I would have said had a curse word in it, but it just goes to how miserable mm-hmm. the Intel quarter was. If it wasn't bad enough on the back of their quarter, this AMD quarter just puts an exclamation point on, the, on what's going on at Intel. Now, at a certain point, AMD is going to be expensive, and we've talked about it for a while. It's bounced from, I think, 56 bucks or so, but I think this is good enough. First quarter guide notwithstanding, I think it's good enough for the stock to continue to grind higher. Yeah. Tim? Well, clearing out a lot of the PC inventory through the March quarter is also important. Uh, this, this data center number was actually a little weaker than expected, but it was solid. And as you said, overall, um, this was a, a, a reasonably strong and beatable guide. And if you think about where uh, the company has come from and where they continue to take market share from Intel and other people, that's really the story. Uh, she did also point out that there is uh, some inventory on the data client, and I think that's something you have to watch. But everything we're hearing is that you're going to see the story for these companies bottom by the first half. She even said, we expect to have a softer first half and we actually will gear up 
in 2H. And I think that's how you're playing semiconductors here. I think you want one more whoosh, and I think it's probably going to come near the second end of the second quarter. Yeah, you know, listen, inventory, that term is like a four-letter word in this industry. And when we just heard, Mike, what he said about cyclicals, early cyclicals like semis, and you hear about that, and you look at that GDP number that we saw for Q4, and you look at how much of that was the, kind of this inventory build here. I just don't think these companies are out of the woods just yet. They don't have a lot of visibility. That's why they're kind of giving us this kind of weakish sort of like, uh, I don't know, opaque sort of guidance here. So to me, it just doesn't, after a run like this, it just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense, in my opinion, to chase this. Yeah, Karen? your take? Well, I own it here. I thought the quarter was just, just fine. I mean, or a little better than fine. And if you think back, you know, two quarters, how just cataclysmic that was and what's happened to the space since, um, I think that also they're probably giving somewhat, somewhat conservative guidance. So it's not cheap. I mean, these stocks used to trade as very cyclical companies. They no longer do, given, I guess, the secular story. But so it's not cheap, but I do like it. And I'm hanging on to it here. All right, up one and a half percent, about a percent off its after hours highs. Coming up, more earnings movers right after this break. We've got our eyes on electronic arts near after hours lows. The numbers out of that quarter next. And social media sadness. Meta shares sinking in the after hours with sympathy, in sympathy with Snap. Meta out with earnings tomorrow. What can investors expect? We got that trade straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is in Miami, and we're back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying ahead of tomorrow's big Fed decision. The Dow jumping nearly 370 points. The S&P climbing nearly 1.5%. It is up nearly 6% this month. And the Nasdaq leading the gains up more than 1.5%, ending January with a 10% jump. Discretionary and communication sectors leading this month's gains, both up nearly 15%. Real estate, tech, and materials close behind. But a couple of names sitting out of January surge. Northrop Grumman, Enphase, Pfizer, Archer Daniels, and Nextera leading the S&P losses for the month. We got an earnings alert here on Electronic Arts shares dropping after the company cut its full year sales forecast, indicating a more cautious consumer. Earnings per share for the latest quarter coming in at 73 cents. Bookings coming in below estimates. Shares taking a leg lower in just the past few minutes, down double digit percent at this point. Maybe it's no surprise. I mean, this is exactly where you would cut if you were a consumer in distress. Yeah, and these stocks have done well, probably on the back of a lot of M&A chatter in the space. So these stocks have actually levitated quite well. So this actually makes sense to me. And quite frankly, even with this move, there's probably some more downside risk until some of the M&A animal spirits come back. So I still think the stock can go lower from here, but I think Tim will probably say it inaccurately. So there's a place to own electronic arts, and it's probably over the next week or so. Tim, will you say that there's a place to own electronic arts, and it's somewhere over the next week or two? <laughs> I mean, as Milo said, he took the words right out of my mouth. And I think you've got a story here where there's better times ahead for all these gamers for a couple reasons. One, FX. Is, is a lot better uh, as a tailwind than it was as a headwind. I think mobile's picking back up, but there's no question that the comps were really tough coming out of COVID. I, I think you're buying this weakness. You're not chasing it, uh, not expensive. Uh, the operating cash flow is still really impressive with this company. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and again, you know, here's a company that is guiding to like single digits, mid single digits earnings and growth and trading at a market multiple people. And that market might go down here a little bit, but, you know, under 17 times. And they never had the sort of pull forward, at least from the stock perspective. It didn't have one of those crazy 2021. So this is one. I, I agree with that. I think in the next week or so, Guy, how's that? Look at that. Yeah. Wow. Maybe ask Karen and you get like a quorum. A quorum. Is, I don't know how to spell and that. Then, and, and then all of our viewers do will do sell the opposite. Yeah, well, all right. Yes. So you're funny. Yeah. If you're an indica- even if you're a contrarian indicator, that's useful. Yeah. <laughs> All right, coming up. Three fast movers, GM revs up, Caterpillar inches lower, and UPS delivers. We'll bring you the trades on those names next. Plus, into the metaverse we go. The social stock out with earnings tomorrow. Will investors like what they hear? Stick around. Fast Money in Miami is back right after this. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A couple of early morning earnings caught our eyes uh, today. Let's start off with GM. General Motors shares jumping more than 8% after the company beat expectations in the top and the bottom lines, issuing strong guidance for the year. GM also announcing a $650 million investment in Lithium Americas to develop a lithium mine in Nevada as it ramps up its EV production. That stuck up nearly 15% today. That's Lithium Americas. Um, Karen, you called it an extraordinary quarter. Yes. I mean, there was a lot to like. If you were a GM holder, there really, I, I don't think of anything that was really upsetting at all. I thought there was a lot of really good things about it. But I think it comes down to, you know, they talked about 400,000 EV cars um, by the first half of 24. And that, that, that EV push that we've been, you know, has been so important to the story has been delayed a couple times. I don't think there's that much room for further delay. So I'd really like to see that. But what I really liked was the demand. And I liked that the, um, the demand's still there, and they're not talking about price cuts, and they're not talking about, um, you could look at this two ways, they're not ca- talking about uh, labor cuts, although it's union, so that's a much harder thing to do. But I like everything about it. Um, I, I, you know, these are the kind of numbers you would hope that a six and a half multiple might not be the right multiple. Something a bit higher than that would be nice, but uh, it doesn't seem to be forthcoming until they actually... I think show that there is an EV presence at GM in the marketplace or not. Yeah, Mary Barra, who's going to be on Mad Money tonight, by the way, uh, talked about the Blazer, the EV Blazer coming out this summer, launching this summer along with the EV Equinox team. And I thought what she said about where the demand is coming from in terms of the Chevy Blazer, the reservations, 40% of the reservation holders are new to EVs. And of the 60% that are not new to EVs, they're either owners of a Bolt or a Volt or their Tesla owners. I thought that was interesting. Well, uh, look, the, the Chevy Blazer used to be like the cool SUV to have before there was about 19 different varieties out there. And, and I think it's important that they actually have something with, with kind of a cool factor and a mainstream factor and, and something that will work. As Karen pointed out, they're not cutting prices on their EV. And if you analyze that 24 number, they could be close to a million cars by the end of 24 on EV production. That's extraordinary. The most important thing for GM right now is 16 to 20 billion in, in, in net auto cash flow. Um, and again, they guided on EBIT to 11 and a half in the middle of the range. The streets at, at under 10. So they continue to be really profitable and really cash flow generative at a time this other business is growing substantially. 
The last time Blazer was cool is when Ben Stiller had the guy on his dodgeball team. I mean, Tim, I understand for Tim Seymour, maybe a Come Blazer on. is cool. Uh, uh, that was my first <laughs> car, guy. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. No, well then, no but what it speaks so quickly cool. is the fact exactly that Tesla, cool. there's, I mean, the competition out there is, is Tesla. And yeah. think about this. Carter Braxton Worth said Tesla is going to trade to 175, trade in the middle of that downtrend and fail. And right before our very eyes, once again, CBW nails it. Yep. All right, let's move on to Caterpillar here. Shares sinking despite an earnings beat. The industrial giant warning of lagging demand in China and rising costs. Uh, Guy, you're watching this very closely. Well, I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, rising costs, exactly right. Inventory build, exactly right. A stock that's run up significantly and now probably going to get back to the levels that we topped out, I think, in the spring of 2022 or so, 242. So it's had a tremendous run. I think the market forgets that Caterpillar is as cyclical as any company out there. And you're seeing it now quickly. Dealer inventories up $700 million is something you have to take into consideration when you start thinking about, are we pulling everything forward? Well, that would suggest maybe we are. Uh, China weakness was not on my bingo card for this. For, so we for think Kat. about this, for cat. And you think about the way this stock has rallied off of its September, October lows. And you know, again, this goes back to kind of Mike's call on S&P uh, earnings right now. If you're just saying, look, you're looking at this thing trading 15, 16 times, you think it looks pretty reasonable. But if those earnings like declines overseas are going to continue to kind of mount over the course of the next couple. This stock is probably expensive. It probably bottoms out somewhere lower on a multiple basis. All right, let's wrap up here with UPS reporting mixed results for Q4. Shares up more than 4% today. Earnings exceeding estimates, but cooling demand weighing on revenues. UPS also expecting 2023 to be a bumpy, bumpy year for the company. So, Karen, what'd you make of this? Yeah, I, I thought it was a little weak. It was a little lower than I would have liked, but I thought they did a good job on the expense ratio. So that was good. So that allowed them to have an operating margin that was actually a little bit of a beat. Um, I like Carol to me very much. The stock's not expensive here. It's just, I think, a slightly below market multiple. Um, but I think fantastic management. They've done an excellent job. Um, the one sort of potential fly in the ointment is they do have a major labor negotiation coming up later this spring. And, uh, you know, that's always somewhat of a stressful moment. But I, all in all, I thought it was very good. So I'm hanging on to it. Um, and it's not crazy expensive here at all. No, it's not. I think you're right to hang on to it. I think what we're seeing over the last couple of years is UPS continues to differentiate itself from its, its biggest rival, Federal Express. So. I hate saying it. I, I work there, so I'm partial, clearly. But UPS has proven to be a better company, and I think it actually deserves a bigger multiple than it currently is getting. I can't believe we didn't put the video up. Well, we're here in Miami. Although I did see a lot of my <laughs> colleagues from UPS. It's funny. They're all retired I'm down sure. here. <laughs> Coming up, digging in on distressed debt, a credit and real estate expert joins us to break down the space. More on that ahead, plus meta results on deck, so will Snap's big drop impact how options traders are playing this name. Fast Money in Miami is back in two.
You know what? We're not the only ones here in Miami. Jim will be at the University of Miami for a special Mad Money back to school tour this Thursday. That's 6 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. So he'll get to enjoy the sunshine, too, hopefully. With interest rates on the rise and the Fed expected to hike by another quarter point tomorrow, many investors are looking to diversify into alternative assets for more on the outlook for credit distressed debt. Let's bring in Michael Arrighetti, the co-founder, CEO and president of Aries Management. Michael, great to see you again. Good to be here in Miami. Nice um, to see you guys. How does your world change with the Fed raising rates? It's a two-edged sword. So yeah. if you think about what we do, we have $340 billion of assets under management. Well over 200 is credit. And the bulk of those exposures are floating rate, whether it's a real estate loan, a corporate loan, an infrastructure loan. So interestingly, as rates have been going up, our investors have actually been making more money. The challenge comes is if the rate hikes persist, then debt service becomes an issue. So there's a balancing act here and, and a balance needs to get struck. But for the time being, it's been, you know, for the most part, a big positive for the business. So it's almost like it's Goldilocks for you right now, where, where rates yeah. are high enough where you can take advantage of it, but not high, too it's, high where it hurts. It's a very unique setup. Normally, when we're talking about recession and economic weakness, we've already seen earnings recess and rates are coming down. So we really haven't seen this environment where we're seeing fundamental strength in the portfolio and rates are going up. So if you're an investor in private credit or tradable credit even, you're enjoying base rate increases for 12 months before you're even having a conversation about inability to pay. Yeah, I would imagine the last 13, 14 months is where you've proven yourself, but you talked about it. There's that point of diminishing marginal returns in terms of yields. What is that point? Because I'm sure you game it out. Yeah, I think it depends. It, it's, it's a grid, right? It depends on what happens with earnings and where rates go. Each market is leveraged slightly differently. So for leveraged loans, private and traded, coverage right now is about two turns. So if we're talking about another 50 from here, I think the market's going to be okay. If for whatever reason we're now off, off trend and we see higher, then you'll start to see some challenges. Okay. Karen's got a question from Michael. Karen? Yeah. Uh, hi, Michael. Thanks for being on. Um, are you starting to, to see you. any pickup in PE activity that was, you know, sort of slowed down at the end of the year? And if so, is the capital structure more conservative than it used to be? Yeah, so we're seeing a slight pickup in activity. Obviously, there's been a lot of price discovery over the last 9 to 12 months. Bid-ask spreads are coming in. Uh, the interesting thing about private equity is in these funds, there's a time frame to invest. So the longer you go without investing, I think the market will try to recalibrate and, and be active again. What we have seen is while we're going through this price discovery is people have been active within their existing portfolios. So if you were in the old valuation environment, you're probably trying to buy down your multiple right now by tucking in acquisitions and putting money into the existing portfolio while you wait for equity values to reprice. Where are you finding value right now, Michael? You were talking to me earlier uh, about some po pockets in real estate, commercial real estate specifically. Yeah, I think real estate is probably going to take it on the chin the most with yeah. regard to the rate increases. When you move away from multis and industrial, which fortunately is where we've been concentrated, you've got structural headwinds in retail and office, and you've got capital structures that are going to be challenged to digest the new cost of capital. So I think that value transfer from real estate equity to real estate debt 
call it opportunistic real estate is going to be a really, really interesting investment opportunity over the next 12 to 24 months. How do you, does a recession matter? I mean, we're so fixated on the notion of a soft landing or hard landing in, in, in the areas that you invest, you would think that that matters. But does that matter in the way you invest? It, it matters, but the way most private markets investors approach investing is we're investing with five to 10 year horizons. So we have to be macro aware, but we've got to be perfect on the micro. Um, it's so interesting because when you're in the liquid markets, we talk about recession, but no one really talks about how long, how severe, where does it hit. And, and this is interesting, too, because we're seeing recession in different sectors of the economy and different sectors of the market. So this, even if we have a recession, I think it's going to feel a little bit different than, than prior. Yeah. And then just quickly, Michael, because we're almost out of time, within alternatives, there are alternatives. And so one of the areas that you're investing in is sports franchises, yes. which I thought was very interesting because yeah. returns have been phenomenal over the past decade. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. We, we've been investing in and around the sports media landscape for 25 years. We stood up a, a dedicated business at the beginning of COVID with a view that distress from COVID with people not showing up at stadiums and spending money would actually challenge sports assets. That lasted for about six months, and I think the long-term secular theme of unscripted content, live entertainment, hang out with your friends and spend money, that's been, that's been ripping. And so it's a pretty, pretty fun place to invest. And it's, a, it's a really interesting non-correlated asset class right now. Yeah. Michael, yeah. great to have you with us. Thanks good to see you guys. Michael. Thank you. Thanks Michael for having me. Michael of uh, Aries Management. Tim? Well, as, as we say, this is a, a unique time to be investing in credit, not only with a higher rate backdrop, but actually trading up in credit. If you think about what the last five to 10 years have been about, it's almost been the Federal Reserve pushing people out the credit and the risk curve. It, it, you know, the way to make money is actually keeping, I think, short to medium duration here. At some point, it will be time to push out in duration. I don't think you should do that here. I don't think you want to do that here. But again, finding uh, great corporate credits. I think, I think the energy uh, credit sector will continue to be a place where, again, we talk about how they're paying down their debt levels here. But there are opportunities for both retail and obviously the institutions like Michael's that are out there. It's interesting that he mentioned, you know, point of diminishing margin, where yeah. rates get to a certain, like, this is a great environment until right. it's not. Right. And that's going to be true in the equity market as well. And quickly, I know you're a huge sports fan. Oh, yeah. So if you could buy one sports team, Mel, I mean, Yankees, Rangers, I know you're so passionate about your hockey. Would you own the New York Rangers given the opportunity? Oh, absolutely. See, I knew it. It's incredible. So good. <laughs> Coming up, what Mark Cuban had to say about the prospects of the metaverse and what Snap's big drop could mean for Meta ahead of results tomorrow. Stick around. Fast Money in Miami is back right after this. metaverse is going to be a great future technology. The metaverse is about five years away from being five years away, and it always will be five years away from being five years away. <laughs> there's the quote so of the true. day right there. I mean, there's also a lot of tech. We tried to go in the metaverse, remember that time, and it took the browser down. Yeah. Like, it just couldn't even handle it. So the technology is getting there, but not for a while. That was billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban and Fallon Fatimi, the co-founder and CEO of streaming app Fireside, speaking earlier here at the iConnections Global Alts Conference. Cuban doesn't seem to be particularly optimistic about the metaverse in the short term. Five years away, five years away, five years away. Uh, we'll see what Facebook parent Meta has to say when it reports earnings tomorrow. That stock is down after hours on Snap's results. Uh, it has been, as Dan points out, on a tear to kick off the year. So, so Karen, you know, five years away, five years away, that's not a huge deal unless you're spending billions of dollars per year on the metaverse. 
Right. It's also when Jamie Dimon will retire, I think. It's that rolling five years away. But, I, I, you know, we talked about it earlier with the SNAP um, earnings. I hope that there isn't a full read-through to Meta. I think it's um, somewhat of a different animal. And then, obviously, there's the gigantic spend. So we saw Mark Zuckerberg talking about pulling back a little bit. Um, and then we saw some layoffs. And I think if he continues in that vein, I think there's still upside in the stock. But having run this far, i got to sell some upside calls against it. You know, it's interesting. Um, we did a show, the three of us, mm -hmm. in Vegas in May of 2017. Oh my gosh. And remember, Mark Cuban was on that show. Oh, I was and thinking you know, of Wayne Newton. Well, Wayne Newton was also on that show. <laughs> and Guy and Wayne sang us out. But Mark actually at the time said that AI is the thing that he is spending most time on. And when you think wow. about that, yeah. okay, and I just want to make the point here, it's here. You know, we're talking about these language models. We're talking about how it can actually disrupt some of these major incumbents. I had a call or a, a conversation with Tamath Palihapiti of Social Capital today, and we were talking about these sorts of things and the opportunities that they present for some of these big incumbents to actually integrate them in their systems. And so to me right now, I think those are all really interesting things. I think Meta, if you think about how much money they have spent on whatever they're defining them metaverse is, there's probably some applications for these other AI models that could really supercharge some of their businesses right now. There's also the potential kicker for, for Meta, at least, Tim, of TikTok going away in some form. We learned yesterday the CEO of, CEO of TikTok will have to appear before Congress, so maybe things are getting a little bit more serious in the halls of Congress when it comes to shutting it down in some, in some fashion. Well, they are, and maybe they should be, maybe they shouldn't be. But but Meta and and Snap, you know, this is the the setup and earnings. They're talking about you know upside scenarios. The analyst community based upon TikTok. I think that's crazy. I, I mean, I get it, but that's not why you're investing in Meta here. And it's you know Snap's got much bigger problems than TikTok. And I, I think with Meta though, um, it really is. I can't believe I'm calling it Meta, by the way. I, I swore I never would. Um, it's all about savings. It's all about capex cuts. And I think the stock goes to 170 as they continue to cut back on, on their spend in 23. I still type in FB into my Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Some things just don't go away too easily. At least one trader in the options market is bullish on Meta's prospects. Mike Co has the action for us. Mike. Yeah, the options market implying a move of much larger than 10% by the end of the week. Of course, it has moved more than that amount, three out of the last four reported quarters. Calls outpacing puts by about three to two. One of the trades I saw that caught my eye, the March 165-195 call spread a trader paid about $3.90 a contract for 1,700 of those, making a bet that the stock is going to be up 13% plus by March expiration, that's 45 days away. We are long the stock, but we don't hold a position in the options. All right. Thanks, Mike, for options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Another look at tonight's earnings mover. Snap down nearly 15% after its report. EA also near after hours lows as the company reported more weakness in mobile gaming, uh, gaming down 11.5%. It is time now for the final trade. That show went fast. Time to go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, GM, a 6.5 PE and 16 to 20 billion in free cash flow I can own in this environment. In fact, I do. GM. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, I bet that went fast sitting there in Florida. Nice, nice work. Uh, mine was Pfizer. <laughs> Earnings were a bit disappointing, but the stock was already washed out. Bought some today. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Snap was nine a month ago. I think it goes back there. I get long there. 
I'd be remiss if we didn't point out the amazing crew of people. We can't show I them, wish you they, could spin the camera I around. I wish I could spin the it, camera yeah. around. They did an amazing job. Lockheed Martin, Melms. Absolutely. And thank you, of course, to iConnection Global Alts. That's a wrap for us here in Miami. Back at the NASDAQ tomorrow for the big Fed decision. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.